Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Mindful Narcissist podcast. I'm your host, the Mindful Narcissist, and today we're talking about my dissertation. I reread it in full the other day for the first time since submitting the final draft to the publisher in 2019, which really wasn't that long ago, but feels like another lifetime. And as I was reminiscing about it on my Instagram story, I did a wee poll to see if anybody would be interested in an episode on it. And I've never had so many people actually interact with the poll. And y'all were unanimously in favor. So here it is. I usually prepare a bit more for a podcast episode, but I was kind of like, you know what? I spent two years of my life researching this thing. I should totally be able to just go for it. So uh, here goes nothing. My dissertation is titled Psychological Spaces, Exploring Childhood Trauma Through Sculpture and Installation. Decent title. That was, that took the longest out of anything, out of all the two years of research. Coming up with the title took the longest. So from the start, I was kind of mad that I had to write a dissertation. Like, I'm glad that it was a part of the program, period, because I think the research really helped me kind of figure out how to define my practice because I started my master's program with much less of an idea of what I was doing than I probably should have had. A lot of people ask me if it's like a good idea to go straight from your undergrad to your MFA for art. And I think that really depends on what you're wanting to get out of it. Because for me, with my undergrad, I finished it a year early and really did not have a super developed practice by the end of it. And one of my advisors actually told me that he didn't think I was ready for an MFA program. And I absolutely, having finished it, I absolutely think that he was right. I think I didn't really come here for the MFA. I came here to leave Fresno and be somewhere else for a while. And so with that goal, I think absolutely the master's is what I should have done. But I think before you start your master's, you should really kind of have a developed practice. And I did not. So my dissertation research was invaluable for helping me figure that out. But I was very mad that I was required to write this dissertation to legitimize my practice and my degree in the eyes of academia because we all know how I feel about academia. I'm looking, I'm kind of just flipping through my dissertation as I as I talk now and you know in the beginning you've got, you've got your dedication page. Mine is dedicated to my little brother. Um, acknowledgements, I think, <laughs> they make me laugh. One of the acknowledgements is to my co-workers at Monk's, which is the restaurant I worked at through my MFA, and I basically wrote almost my entire dissertation at the bar at Monk's because I would come in an hour or two before my shift started and I would kind of just sit there and I would do my reading, take my notes, write a bit because I couldn't work otherwise. Something about like being in the restaurant surrounded by my coworkers working really hard and a lot of it I would do over the summer when it was crazy at the restaurant. And so being surrounded by them working hard made me get hyper-focused. Something about the chaos around me made me hyper-focused on what I needed to do and the fact that I knew I was starting a shift in an hour or two, so I had a deadline. I don't know. It was really good for me. And also there was loads of free coffee while I was sitting there. So that was nice. And one of my favorite supervisors, she's like my Irish mammy. She would, she would keep an eye on me and be like, Kayla, how are things going? How's the deadlines? Make sure I kept productive. And then once I started working too hard, she'd make sure I took breaks. It starts with an abstract. And this is my proudest point of the dissertation. The abstract was supposed to be a page long and I argued it down to three sentences because I'm a very efficient writer and three sentences is all I needed. I think my entire dissertation is actually under the required word count. But again, argued my way out of it. So I came to this dissertation topic because I realized that in my own work, I just kept returning to the themes of my own childhood trauma. I was like, okay, there is the whole, you know, tortured artist stereotype. I know I'm not the only one like this. Why do we do 
it? Is it good? What kind of art is the best, quote unquote, best for it? I was arguing obviously in favor of sculpture and installation for discussing trauma in art because of the way that trauma is held in the body and the way that installation and sculpture takes up physical space in a way similar to the body. Or, you know, you perform interventions on sculptural works that have a physicality similar to the body and, you know, the title of my dissertation. Psychological space is kind of that refers to the space created in an installation because my my work in my final show was an installation. I start with kind of discussing trauma from a psychological perspective. I read a lot of psychology journals, kind of talked about how when you have deeply recorded trauma within your body, within your psyche, talk therapy is not a way to really process it because when your trauma is encoded in your body, it's recalled in bodily sensations. It's a very holistic thing and reducing it to words doesn't process it. So more active, cathartic, whole body approaches are generally necessary. There's a bit of a discussion about how Descartes and like Cartesian dualism has really been a detriment in studying trauma because of the idea of that mind-body separation, which initially allowed for growth in science and medicine, but at this stage hampers further growth in our understanding of mental illness, of trauma, and the ways that those things often manifest as a physical disease. And like a preoccupation with measurement and quantification that is caused by the whole mind-body dualism makes it difficult for the medical field to decisively link the overall wellness of the body to psychological factors. Recent research, obviously, is moving towards a more holistic approach where mind-body is all part of a complete system that are completely linked. Something that I was very interested in through this research was the, was the idea of whether like building an artistic practice around one's trauma is actually a good thing. Because obviously a lot of work, a lot of artists have autobiographical practices. Our lived experiences inform our work. Like I feel like everybody in some way, their practice is autobiographical. But when you specifically build a practice on trauma, I was kind of wondering, like, does this kind of just prolong an obsession with it? Does it prevent you from processing it or working through it if you just continually return to it? I think with the whole tortured artist stereotype, sometimes we are discouraged from healing because then what would we make art about? I know before I started therapy, like my intense year of therapy last year, my first concern was, what if I start therapy? I get quote unquote fixed and then I'm not funny anymore. This was a genuine thought that I had. I've never been concerned that my art would suffer, but I was like, man, my trauma is what's given me my wonderful sense of humor. If I heal, will I be funny anymore? In terms of catharsis and kind of externalizing trauma as a way to process it, I argued that, you know, sculpture and installation were ideal for that because of the physicality of making sculpture, the interaction you have with the materials. Obviously, this argument in my dissertation is a result largely of bias because I am a sculptor. I draw now, but I still think of myself as a sculptor because that is what I'm happiest doing. I looked at the work of obviously Louise Bourgeois as well as Yayoi Kusama and Doris Salcedo. I love all three of them. I've still never gotten to see any of Louise Bourgeois' work in person, but in the middle of my master's, I got to go to LA and see several of Kusama's infinity rooms, which was unreal. And then my first trip home after graduating, when I came back after my like 18 hour travel day, I went straight to Emma in Dublin because there was an exhibition of Doris Salcedo's work. And I, I stayed there for hours. Look up Doris Salcedo if you're not 
familiar with her work. It's it's unreal. There was one piece there. I'm not going to pronounce it right. It'll say it anyway. Um, a fleur de piel, 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 piel. Anyway, it's basically it's a funeral shroud, a massive, massive funeral shroud that it's displayed on the floor. It'll take up multiple rooms, depending on the size of the room, and it's made of just hundreds and hundreds of preserved and meticulously hand-sewn red rose petals. It's incredible. Just like when you walk into a room and you see this expanse and you look closer and you realize what it's made of. My work involves a lot of like iterations of tiny circles. And in my graduate exhibition, like the centerpiece of it was this 10 foot long painting of tiny squares. And when I first came across her work, I was like, oh, th this is what I want to do ultimately. It's like, I want somebody to get that kind of feeling. Or you walk into a room and you're just like, whoa. You kind of get sucked into it and then you realize all the tiny parts that make it up and you're seriously like, whoa. That is the best way I can describe the effect I would like my work to have. I think the conclusion I was trying to reach with my dissertation was that one should not build a practice entirely on one's childhood trauma. When I started my dissertation, that is the conclusion that I wanted to reach. And by the time I finished my dissertation, I realized that I only really wanted that because early on in my MFA, I made a piece that involved drawings of childhood toys. And they were all toys that I can remember my little brother playing with, or like me playing with, with my little brother before he passed away. So they're very sentimental. And making that piece, I drew those toys like four times in it. Should I try to describe the piece? I'm all, I feel like I'm always so bad at like actually describing the piece, but I'll try. So on this big white sheet of paper, I drew the toys in color, in primary colors. And then I had a transparent sheet of paper, a couple of them over it, big massive ones. They're like, I don't know, four, four or five feet tall. And I, drew the toys again and again in black ink and I kind of layered these ones on top of each other and they were on one wall and then hanging in front of them from the ceiling was kind of like this mobile in similar scale to the drawings where I had created these wireframes of the toys and then you know paper mache painted them white around it then those were hanging in the ceiling in front of it and then in the middle room there was a spotlight and on the other side of the room there was another mobile same as the first one but with tracing paper so it's kind of transparent and then the spotlight was creating a shadow so on the wall there was a shadow of the toys so it was several iterations of you know the same image but each one further removed from the first and the idea of it was I was kind of looking at how did I word it the statement I put up with the piece when I showed it was the past as you perceive it does not exist so it's about the way that our memory becomes so altered over time which is something everybody experiences obviously but like the further I get removed from the time when my little brother was alive, the more I realize that, I don't know, you, you, really, you become really aware of how those memories change, how my memories of him change, and how many of my memories of him I don't even know if they're real because I was so young. Anyway, so making this piece was really focused on concrete memories of him, and it was working with very concrete imagery, and it messed me up. It put me in a really, really rough place. And that's when I realized that my art was not the place for me to work through to try to process my trauma. And so when I started my dissertation, I wanted to definitively conclude that one should not process trauma through their art. I think I kind of wanted it as like a justification for me feeling that way. And so my work at that point shifted to kind of exploring the state of mind created by trauma and the kind of repetitive actions, thoughts, 
patterns that come as a result of it. So if you've seen my work, sure, I'll post some. I'll use, I'll use this episode as an excuse to post more pictures of my work from grad school because I am proud of it. I think it's very good work. But it's all just, you know, iterations of tiny circles. It's these cylinders. I made tons and tons of plaster cylinders that I carved in this repetitive way or punctured with pins in a very repetitive way. I had, must be nearly a hundred of those cylinders in my final installation. And like I said, I had, you know, the big 10 foot painting of tiny squares. That was a centerpiece of my final show. And so my work shifted from concrete representations and processing to kind of just thinking about the way that trauma had changed my brain. But also, the more that I researched, the more I was like, this isn't something you can definitively conclude. So as I write my conclusion, like the first sentence, as I conclude the writing of this dissertation, I find myself having reached not a decisive conclusion to the main question presented, but rather a set of guidelines for my own practice. I set forth with the intent of analyzing autobiographical trauma-based work and examining the relationship between physical and behavioral manifestations of childhood trauma and artistic practice. The main question I've been looking at was, does the use of childhood trauma in one's artistic practice serve as a cathartic method of processing said events, or does it merely render the artist's past inescapable? With creation of the body of work associated with this dissertation, I can answer this question from my own practice. Art can play a vital role in helping the artist engage with traumatic memories in a way that helps them process the intense emotions that accompany them. The creation of art is not in itself a method for healing. In fact, I would argue that if nothing is done with the emotions that creating trauma-based art arouses, the art simply serves to continually re-traumatize the artist. Rather, the creation of art can be a tool for reflection and a motivating force for pursuing further healing resources. Art cannot heal us, but it can help us heal. So I suppose that is actually a rather definitive conclusion I'm claiming to have reached. It's debatable, but I think for myself that's definitely true. That's all I can really conclude. For myself, that is the truth I've reached at the end of my dissertation, which I think still holds true for me, is that art cannot heal me, but it can help me heal. That was really more a bit of a surface discussion of my dissertation, the important bits, you know? That's really, that's what I got out of my dissertation. If you do have any questions, I did do quite a bit of like in-depth research that I am capable of discussing. Thank you so much for coming along for another chat. You can follow me at Caitlin W for daily mindful narcissist content or at The Mindful Narcissist if you want an irregular weekly reminder that a new episode has indeed gone up. As always, like, share, review, all that good stuff. Tell a friend. Tell a friend to listen to my podcast. And my DMs are always open. I'll see you next week. Mwah.